Sanders. Welcome to the Dr. Hedberg Show for cutting-edge practical health information. For the latest articles, videos, and podcasts, visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com. The information in this show is intended for educational purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional before attempting anything recommended in this program. And now, here's Dr. Hedberg. Okay, well, welcome everyone. This is Dr. Hedberg, and today I'm going to be talking to Rachel Hill. And Rachel Hill is the founder of Invisible Thyroid. And just some background on Rachel: she's uh, she was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. Hashimoto's disease, as well as chronic fatigue syndrome, as well as having adrenal fatigue and experience with depression and anxiety disorder. Rachel created the Invisible Hypothyroidism. This is an award-winning patient advocacy blog that focuses on helping others by advocating for better thyroid disease, diagnosis, and treatment. So I'm excited to have you on. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Excellent. Why don't we start by you talking about the invisible hypothyroidism, exactly what that is and uh, why you started it. Uh, yeah. So um, the invisible hypothyroidism is the name of my thyroid patient advocacy blog and website that like you've just touched on. Um, under that name, I also get involved in other things such as doing interviews, podcasts like this, uh, fundraising for thyroid charities. And I run a couple of forums and Facebook groups as well um, to reach other thyroid patients and also their other halves um, to provide some, some support and advice, really. Um, the invisible hypothyroidism encapsulates what it means to advocate for yourself and your own health, which I think is incredibly important and um, something that I've learned along my thyroid journey. Um, before my blog went live, back when I used to write about my experience as a coping mechanism, like a diary or, or journal, if you will, for myself to read back on, um, I wrote a poem called The Invisible, um, which I really wrote to try and capture all the sides of living with thyroid disease, which is an invisible illness, and all the sides that a lot of people don't understand or see. So when I decided to start writing on a private blog space, I used the title of this poem, The Invisible, but felt that The Invisible had thyroidism described what I was writing about and wanting to convey much better um, and I, I just wanted to just kind of get out all of the sides of hypothyroidism that people often don't see and, and all the various sides that I was struggling with um, and then eventually I, I turned to my little private corner on the web where I be where I was logging my personal experiences to a public setting um, and my blog went public and I, I haven't really looked back since it's, it's been really popular and a lot of people seem to resonate with my experiences um, across the globe actually and despite being based in the UK um, about 60% of my traffic is from the US which is quite interesting. Mm, excellent. So of course you uh, you've gone through this yourself. You've been diagnosed with hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, chronic fatigue. So that was obviously a, a motivation. But uh, can you give us some more insights into what motivated you to become an advocate for thyroid patients and also create the invisible hypothyroidism? Uh, yeah, so um, essentially I'd, I'd had signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's for years and I was frustrated that it took so long for doctors to find it and then get to the point where I was eventually diagnosed and then began treatment. 
Um, I, I, I was just flabbergasted, if you will, um, that it had been missed for so long. And, and even worse, that there are still people out there who don't know that they have it or, like me, get diagnosed eventually but still remain on poor treatment and in some cases don't get any treatment at all for it, especially those that are given the subclinical or borderline hypothyroid diagnosis like myself. It's, it's really unhelpful. Um, as soon as I reached out and got in touch with thyroid patients from across, across the globe online, I soon became quite shocked and astounded that so many people in the same position as me were still suffering and most importantly suffering needlessly as well. Um, I mean, people living with hypothyroidism can live a full good quality life. They don't have to crawl through each day like a zombie. And so after learning all of this myself, I decided that change needed to happen and especially for thyroid patients in the UK as well, who are often quite undervoiced due to the lack of British thyroid advocates. So I began writing and quite scarily actually sharing my stories and personal experiences of what I'd encountered so far online and I soon realized that a lot of people were resonating with this and so I expanded on what I was doing and, and just kept on going. I think behind everything that I do I just want to let other thyroid patients know that they're not mad, they're not imagining things and most importantly they're, they're not alone which so many people do sadly feel so alone and isolated in what they go through with thyroid disorders. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, your story is similar to a lot of people's um, that I see in practice. You know, usually there's been misdiagnosis or uh, patients are told it's all in their head. And then, of course, if you have Hashimoto's, there's really no conventional medical treatment for that other than thyroid medication. So there's a lot of people out there, especially women, who are suffering with this. So you've got a lot of great information on on your site, the invisible hypothyroidism, Thank with you. some good advice. Um, do you have any? Is there a single top piece of advice that you want to give people out there with thyroid problems? And um, the the number one thing I always say to anyone living with hypothyroidism is to embrace being your own thyroid advocate, and um, that is the the sort of big. Uh, tagline or slogan if you will across the top of my website um, by this I mean learning what is part and parcel of having thyroid disease and then what isn't learning to stand up for yourself and your health so that you can make progress in how you feel and this this includes learning what lab tests you should be having done what results you're aiming for and this obviously is taking into account optimal levels as opposed to just falling within a wide outdated range often and it includes researching and reading and embracing being more involved in your own healthcare and treatment the people who feel better and the ones who make progress are often the people working with their doctor. With a good doctor, often within functional medicine even, um, and the people who embrace being their own advocate, they're, they're the ones who tend to get better. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So everybody's different when it comes to hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. And what I do is I will look, usually we begin with uh, birth and childhood because we're learning a lot more about the connection with early adverse life events and autoimmunity as an adult. So for example, you know, women have autoimmunity at a much greater rate than men. And if we look at traumas as a child or a teenager, uh, we're seeing significant connections there with adult um, autoimmunity, you know, cardiovascular disease, inflammation, things like that. And a lot of these patients are very different in their first signs and symptoms when they develop this 
this condition. So can you give us some some background on, on what your first signs and symptoms were? Uh, yeah, so I think for me throughout my childhood, there were early signs um, sort of dotted all the way through. For example, I never used the toilet regularly, perhaps once every one to two weeks, which is quite shocking, really. And we know that that's that, that constipation is a big symptom of an underactive thyroid. But from, from as young as I can remember, I can remember that that was just normal for me, but it was never really picked up on. Um, I was often referred to as being lazy, um, especially as a teenager. And I, th- I think a lot of people pass that off as just being a teenager, you know, sleeping in on the weekends or just, just being generally lazy or, or having a lack of energy overall or thinking that you can't be bothered or you're not motivated. And I've, I've also lived with anxiety my whole life, although I didn't realise at 19 that that's what it was. I, I just put it down to being a worrier or overthinking things. But um, it, it really was anxiety and anxiety can be debilitating on its own. But again, that, that can be another symptom of thyroid issues and Hashimoto's especially. Mm-hmm. But at age 16, this is where I look back and notice the real triggering of, of Hashimoto's beginning for me. Following catching swine flu, which you may remember was a huge outbreak of in the UK mm-hmm. especially in 2009 um, I never really recovered after it had gone I, I had achy legs and strong bouts of fatigue that would come and go and this was really just the, the start of my health decline and um, it's quite sad really that it started so young as, as well at just 16 years old and then over the next five years I developed over 20 other signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism that I would keep jotting down on a note on my phone because the doctors just weren't really believing me they thought I was making all of these things up but they included things such as calf cramping at night depressive bouts acid reflux cystic acne despite being you know 23 years old when I developed it irregular and heavy periods dry skin eczema dermatitis brain fog gluten sensitivity brittle nails hair loss and the list just goes on so by the time I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's at 21 I was a complete wreck and I was a shell of who I used to be it had devastated my life and, and so I just wanted answers mm-hmm. right right and just to talk a little bit more about about childhood one of the things that that I always look for is we begin with birth like I said earlier and so for the listeners out there these are some things that you want to think about number one uh, was your mother under a lot of stress when she was pregnant with you also uh, were you a C-section or were you a vaginal birth? C-section does have an effect on the microbiome and affect gut health. The next thing to think about is if you were breastfed or if you were formula fed, that will definitely have a big impact on the gut microflora as well. And then you just have to look at when you were an infant all the way up into adolescence, the number of antibiotics you've taken and your diet, and also just having abusive parents or having some kind of dysfunction in the family. So this could be um, parents who are, or a parent who is an alcoholic, and then uh, physical and verbal abuse. And then some women are, um, you know, treated very differently than uh, than their brothers. Sometimes there's an emphasis on looks and uh, body type. Um, I've seen a lot of patients who, you know, were figure skaters or gymnasts and things like that. And so there can be body issues. All those things tie into what happens to you as an adult. And like you said, 
you went through uh, some significant constipation and other issues. And we know that um, anxiety, there are direct connections to the gut microflora and anxiety. And so that would include uh, depression, anxiety, insomnia, mood swings. And then you had mentioned eczema, which we can trace back to the GI in some cases, and also um, direct connections with weight. So if there's weight gain, difficulty losing weight, and then of course, thyroid function as well. All of those things can tie into the gut microflora. So those are some of the things for listeners to think about going back from birth to uh, to adolescence, just your whole environment, as well as, you know, the school you went to, being bullied, um, having too many demands put on you by your parents or your teachers. There's this whole mix of things that need to be looked at with every patient who has uh, Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism or pretty much any illness as an adult. That's where we want to look first. So, you are currently the most prevalent uh, thyroid advocate in the UK. Um, your blog is the most prevalent and, your, and uh, the most prevalent writer in the UK. So you've got a pretty big presence there. So I'm really interested in, in the differences that you're seeing between the UK and the United States with thyroid patients. So what do you think those key issues are? Um, I think in, in the UK right now, the use of T3 synthetic thyroid medication, which helps many thyroid patients, as we know, is under the spotlight here. Um, many patients formerly feeling great on this on this medication have been told that they'll no longer get it prescribed and that they'll have to go back to T4 only, such as levothyroxine, which is, is pretty appalling, really. Um, in general, here in the UK, we don't hold as much importance over functional or holistic medicine, which is a real shame. And, and on the NHS, conventional and mainstream medicine is really its limitation. That, that's all we've got. Thyroid patients here um, are very lucky if they're even referred to an endocrinologist, which on the US often doesn't provide much more, I'm sorry, which on the NHS often doesn't provide much more help than their regular GP. So we're kind of stuck in a, in a circle and a cycle, if you will, and not sure which way to turn or where to go for help and support. GPs and endos are still going by TSH above all, and although it's possible, it's extremely hard to find anyone who will prescribe anything besides Levo. So many thyroid patients end up taking to self-sourcing or, or going private for the NDT and T3 medication. Or even worse, they end up staying unwell because they don't have the means to see a private doctor or pay extra for another medicine source from elsewhere. Of course, many patients are understandably concerned about self-sourcing their medication too, medication especially online. Um, but many people wanting to try and then feeling better on these medications are, are having to do just that. And I'm one of those patients myself. Um, private doctors can be incredibly expensive over here. Um, I've just started seeing a functional doctor myself who's been a, a great help. Um, but I'm one of the lucky people who... Um, who, who can afford to see someone and does have the means to, to travel a few hours to go see her each time. So overall, we're just much more, much more restricted over here in the UK, I feel, compared to the US in terms of what we can get our hands on and, and what the doctors know. I don't feel mm-hmm. as if um, UK doctors are as up to date or at the forefront as a, a sort of medical knowledge and developments as US doctors um, from the American doctors that I follow and, um, sort of medical societies and, and US thyroid advocates and whatnot. 
Um, so when it comes to help, treatment and just general support over in, over in the UK, we, we are quite restricted and limited. And so that's why I work to raise awareness of that. And I, I just want to empower other thorough patients to advocate for themselves as well and to try and find those routes to get ourselves better. And it most, most more often than not involves us taking our health into our own hands, ordering our own tests, you know, and then eventually get into a stage where, where we can see a functional or private doctor ourselves or in the extremely rare circumstances find a doctor on the NHS within conventional medicine that we we can kind of work with to a certain extent um, as I have done with my GP in the past so yeah overall it, it is just much more restricted and limited over here and, and NDT and T3 medications are extremely hard to get hold of and get prescribed and um, many patients are having them taken away from them as well which I think after being well on those medications for so long to then have it taken away from you is an incredibly scary prospect. Mm. Yeah. I've worked with uh, many patients virtually in the UK and throughout Europe, and it's very different uh, country to country. Um, Some of the countries that you would think might be a little bit more progressive, like the Scandinavian countries are actually uh, the most difficult to deal with uh, as well as Germany. And uh, I was surprised because Russia was actually, you know, it's not part of Europe, of course, but in that part of the world, I found Russia to actually be very progressive compared to Europe and the UK. So with the people that I've worked with in the UK, they've had to go to private labs. And of course, private labs uh, cost a lot of money out of pocket to get the extra testing done. But I know that is available yes. uh, for people who, who want to get the tests that they need. And then, of course, the labs that we use uh, here in the U.S., they ship test kits internationally. So that's worked out pretty well. But I hear you about the U.K. doctors and getting, uh, getting what you need. So you brought up T3, and I just want to give everyone kind of an update on the science yes. behind that. And... Basically, we're looking at approximately 15 to 20% of the population has a genetic deficiency converting T4 to T3. So right off the bat, one out of every five people will need T3, and that could come in the form of armor or nature throid or just adding in you know, T3 to the, uh, to the T4. Now, the other 80%, though, that's where you know you'd want to work with a functional medicine doctor to figure out the reasons why you're not converting T4 into T3 because if you're in that 80% and you get everything figured out and in balance then then you should be able to convert um well just like just like anybody else and a lot of times those conversion issues uh they do trace back to the gut also we could um we can pinpoint that to stress or chronic stress that will inhibit conversion of T4 to T3. Also a, a lower carbohydrate diet uh, can do that. And the paleo diets very popular as well as the autoimmune paleo diet. And those tend to be pretty low in carbs. And so some people just won't feel very good on those, even though they're kind of designed for Hashimoto's. And so I'll find that a lot of women when they follow those diets, they'll actually get a little bit sluggish. And that's because when the carbon take gets low, 
uh, there'll be be some difficulty in some people converting T4 to T3. So we'll just add in some some rice or quinoa for some extra carbs, and that usually um, you know perks the patient up pretty quickly just by making that one change. Also, zinc deficiency, which of course ties in with chronic stress, that can uh, inhibit conversion of T4 to T3, selenium deficiency. Uh, those are some of the main ones. And then the other thing just to think about is the T3 receptor. So you could have really good T4 and T3 levels, but if the T3 is unable to do what it's supposed to do at the cellular level, at the receptor, then it doesn't really matter what you're taking. And so the first thing to think about with the receptor is iron. And so a lot of patients with gut issues and thyroid issues will have a low ferritin level. And ferritin is how much iron is stored in the body. This tends to be very low in a lot of chronically ill women, especially who have had very heavy menstrual cycles. Because uh, every time a woman menstruates, she loses a fair amount of iron each month. And then if there's gut issues, then the amount of iron being absorbed from food just does not keep up with the amount of iron that's lost every month. And so you can also tie those iron deficiencies back to gluten sensitivity and uh, gut dysbiosis. So those are some of the main things to think about for the listeners when there's issues with T4 and, and T3. So let's, let's go a little bit into more detail with you and what you've experienced alongside your hypothyroidism. So what related health issues and issues in your life have you seen that has gone alongside your, your hypothyroidism? Um, a, a lot of them are, are what you've just touched on there, actually. Um, so obviously living with Hashimoto's, it can be quite up and down. And in the past, I've experienced low vitamin levels such as iron and vitamin D, um, which are not necessarily deficient, although I have been anemic before, but even just low levels can make you feel so unwell and, and raising them up to those optimal level, levels um, within the ranges it can do so much to help you feel better alongside um, Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism as well um, I've also had uh, irregular periods and at the moment I'm working on healing my leaky gut and taming a yeast overgrowth um, which seems to be going quite well my, my symptoms are slowly dying off and um, also trying to calm down the adrenal dysfunction I have in the form of high cortisol so adrenal fatigue um, I have more estrogen than progesterone right now. Um, and right now it's not too bad compared to how it was when it was in raging force last year. But in the past, it has meant that I experienced incredibly irregular periods. So I couldn't tell when they were going to sort of show themselves. I had painful cystic acne on my face, neck, jaw, chest, back and even shoulders. And it created really intense mood swings as well. So one thing that I've learned with thyroid disease is that it's never just your thyroid. It's like piecing together a big puzzle. Rarely do people take thyroid medication and then feel all better. In most cases, it can take years for people to find the right thyroid hormone replacement medication that works and at the right dose too. Um, but more often than not, there are other things at place, such as adrenal fatigue, whether it's high cortisol, low or, or a combination. But there's um, vitamin deficiencies going on or a whole other 
conditions um, on their own, it can definitely be difficult trying to keep everything in check and um, unearthing all of these things. And I've been I've been formally diagnosed almost three years now, and I'm still unearthing things that I didn't realise, such as the sex hormone imbalance. Uh, just last last September October time, I started addressing that. Um, but I have no doubt that as I go along, you know, my iron might drop again or um, it, one thing I'm looking into at the moment is whether I've now got sensitivity to dairy. Um, as so many people with Hashimoto's do, I've been gluten free um, for almost two years now and that's made such a huge difference. But yeah, I, it, it's so individual to each person and it really is just like trying to piece piece together this enormous puzzle. Um, most of the time it can just take a while to get things back in check and then it can even be difficult to try and keep them there <laughs> long term mm-hmm. right I'm glad you said that about how how it takes time and, it, and it's a big puzzle because there are a lot of people out there who are just looking for a pill to take uh, they just want to find the right medication and, and be done and that's like you said it's very rare that that's that's actually going to work or that's the case so Let's tie together some of what you mentioned. So you mentioned cortisol, and I'll just make a couple of additional notes there. So high cortisol also has a direct effect on thyroid receptors, on T3 receptors in the cell. And then it also has an effect on the conversion of T4 to T3. And then also high cortisol will have an effect on the brain and the production of thyroid-stimulating hormone, uh, which, of course, signals the thyroid to make thyroid hormone. So cortisol is going to hit hit the patient very hard in multiple ways if they have have a thyroid issue. Also, the adrenals, of course, also make adrenaline, norepinephrine, epinephrine. Those are the catecholamines. And we know that the catecholamines also suppress thyroid function. So that's one of the things that I want to stress to everyone is how important it is to get stress in our lives under control in order to balance the thyroid. And then you mentioned sex hormones. And so the big ones to think about are estrogen dominance. So too much estrogen will inhibit thyroid function. And then if progesterone is too low, that can also have an effect on thyroid function. So one of the reasons why there are fluctuations in body temperature during the menstrual cycle, so we'll see increased body temperature mid to late cycle, that's because of the surge in progesterone increases thyroid function. And so that that's the explanation of, of why that happens. And then you also mentioned acne, and acne is usually For the most part, it's traced back to the gut, and then there's also issues with food sensitivities, especially dairy, and also insulin resistance. So blood sugar is intimately connected with acne, and of course, blood sugar is intimately connected with the gut microflora. So it is just a big puzzle that we all need to put together. Now, why do you... Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. And uh, now I, I was just saying that that's exactly what I've been on earthing at the minute. I've um 
I've been sort of drinking kefir, which is like a, a, a fermented uh, product with a lot of good bacteria in there um, and a, a good natural probiotic, which has made such a difference um, to my gut health, to, to my skin. The acne is clearing up miraculously, um, mm -hmm. but also addressing things such as the yeast overgrowth um, and, you know, blood sugar, just, just being so much more aware of, of what you're putting into your body and, and how that then affects how your body functions. Uh, they're the key um, sort of areas that I've been focusing on working with my functional doctor for the last maybe five or six months or so. And um, yeah, it's, it's so important. I think for most people with Hashimoto's, that's, that's going to be one of the key areas that they, they have to target and work on to, to see any improvement, um, mm -hmm. not, not just in acne or irregular, um, irregular periods, but um, also just an overall well-being, mental health and energy levels as well. It's crucial. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So my next questions are I'm very interested in, in what you have to say about these. So why do you think there are so many undiagnosed hypothyroid cases out there? And, and why are those who are diagnosed still not feeling well? I think the biggest issue is with doctors use, using the TSH test alone, um, which a lot of us are aware of is incredibly inaccurate. And without, without using it with the rest of the thyroid panel, um, there's an issue because TSH isn't accurate on its own due to being a pituitary hormone, not a thyroid one. It, it can give an indication of whether thyroid hormones are low, but you never really know without actually testing those thyroid hormone levels. So free T, free T4 is the storage hormone and free T3 being the active one. It means that this is what is free for the body to use in all its many processes. And a low free T3 is often present, even in people with a normal TSH level. So whereas that normal TSH level may indicate to a doctor that someone is not hypothyroid or that they're adequately treated, a low, t a low free T3 that more often than not isn't being tested would indicate that, that they're still you know, not adequately treated. It just doesn't make sense to be going by TSH alone when diagnosing and treating hypothyroidism. And I think even for people on thyroid medication and still feeling unwell, this is just one of the many issues that could be causing causing them to still feeling ill. For a lot of people, it comes down to a conversion problem as well, which I know you touched on earlier, um, which would explain why so many people on T4-only medicines, such as levothyroxine or Synthroid in the US, still feel unwell, because that T4 they're putting in isn't being converted to, all, to the all-important active thyroid hormone T3. And so again, the, this backs up why so many people do so much better on T3 and NDT preparations. And it's another reason why a full thyroid panel should always be tested as just checking TSH and even checking free T4 alongside it. It doesn't flag up a conversion problem without that free T3. And I think it's incredibly important to remember that where we fall within a given range can also make such a big difference i know for me personally um once my free t4 hits sort of mid-range if not a little bit higher and when my free t3 which i find most important is in that top quarter of the range if not right near the top of the range that's when i have the energy and that's when the brain fog disappears and that's where i know i feel best but many doctors just don't seem to care or they don't seem to be paying enough attention to where a patient's results are falling within a range, um, often an outdated or an accurate range as well. But more and more people are saying that they feel best when their levels reach a specific point within a range. And this is often a TSH below two and, and even suppressed on medication containing T3. And then a free T4 mid-range or higher, and perhaps most importantly, that, that free T3 in the top quarter of the range. So 
I just feel that a lot of doctors have lost touch with listening to the actual patient and treating them as the individual they are, especially if they're still complaining of, of ongoing symptoms. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm glad you brought up the TSH. It still boggles my mind that that is the only test that's ordered for a number of patients when we know that it's not always an accurate test for thyroid function. There are many things that can affect the TSH. And I'm actually just now, I think as of last year, starting to finally see at least the American doctors also running free T4. And that was a change in the guidelines here. So people are now getting TSH and free T4, which is good, but still no one's really getting uh, free T3 or total T3 or anything like that. So conventional medicine is slow to change. They do um, use science as their guiding principle, of course. And so there's caution there, sometimes being overly cautious. But it'll, it will eventually change. It's just going to take time. Yeah. Uh, so what other issues do you think we should be thinking about alongside hypothyroidism? Um, I think knowing whether your hypothyroidism is autoimmune um, is, is probably one of the big things. Um, autoimmune hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, or Hashimoto's or Hashes for sure, um, is, is the most common cause of hypothyroidism. And it's, it's behind around 90% of the cases of hypothyroidism. So that, that is a lot of us. And knowing if it's autoimmune can help as many people with it often cite that there are certain lifestyle changes and interventions that can help to control the condition such as going gluten-free eliminating dairy taming toxins in the environment um, addressing a leaky gut yeast overgrowth improving low vitamin levels adrenal issues and a lot more but many doctors don't test uh, they don't check for Hashimoto's alongside the hypothyroidism diagnosis and I think it just could be crucial in helping so many people um, get back onto the road of recovery. But when I talk to so many patients out there, I'd say the vast majority don't know whether they have Hashimoto's and a lot of them don't even know what it is. Um, and another thing would be adrenal fatigue. I think that's another big part to many people's thyroid puzzles. And I do believe that this condition will become more widely recognized within the next I don't know, maybe 30, 40 years or so. It's, it's awful to think it could be that long, but like you were touching on just then, mainstream and conventional medicine, they, they do seem to be lagging um, so far behind. Um, and I think as experts carry on delving into how the dysfunction of the adrenal glands can wreak so much havoc on the body, it, it will become much more widely recognised. It's, it's already recognised with holistic and functional medicine. And this is where I've experienced a lot of improvements personally. Uh, my functional doctor has been great in addressing the leaky gut, the yeast issue, you know, sex hormone imbalances, and even that pesky adrenal fatigue. It's certainly made a lot of difference to how I feel and how my body functions. And so I think there are two key issues there, whether your hypothyroidism is autoimmune, which it, it most likely is, and then um, whether you've got adrenal fatigue at play as well. I think quite a large proportion of of the population, even without hypothyroidism, probably have adrenal fatigue and just don't know. You know we're faced with so many stresses um, and, and poor diets and things that influence um, our stress levels and, and then cortisol levels. Um, I, just, I just think it's, it's quite a big issue that people need to be looking into and, and addressing much more often. Mm -hmm. Right, right. 
Yeah, you would think because Hashimoto's is the most common autoimmune disease in the world that there would be more attention to it, um, but there isn't, which is still kind of fascinating to me how it can be so prevalent, but so little is, is uh, research behind it. So you're writing a book. Uh, what's going to be the name of the book and what is it about? Um, I am. So I've been working on it now for a few months, setting aside some time each week um, to try and write some more of it. I, I do have a day job. I work part time doing two and a half to three days a week. So I, I am getting there and I, uh, I am really enjoying the process of writing it. I'm, I'm hoping it, that people are going to find it really helpful. Um, at the moment, the title I have for it is uh, when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I think that straight away will be something that a lot of therapy patients relate to and resonate with and perhaps even have a bit of a chuckle at because we, we all we all know that that feeling of just just feeling sick and, and tired and, and and fed up of um of being there and not knowing which way to turn but I really hope that with this book with me sharing my own story of diagnosis and, and treatment which you know after sharing it online I've realized a lot of patients are going through the same kind of issues that a lot of people will, will find it helpful and um, it will provide some comfort in, in knowing that that you're you're not alone and that other people are going through that as well and, and that by going through that we can share what we've learned and, and help each other to hopefully get more people diagnosed earlier and treated more effectively sooner as well um, mm-hmm. I think it, it come up after so many people following my blog um, started to suggest that I put a lot of these experiences and anecdotes and, and helpful bits of information into one book. And so I just thought, you know, why the hell not? Hopefully it will be both educational and empowering, not just to thyroid patients, but I'm also hoping to address their friends and family as well. I think the key thing I want to do is to just really let other thyroid patients know that they're not alone and I want to provide a voice for the many out there that that are struggling through this disease often in silence as well um so yeah thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to um to share what I'm up to um, and my experiences with your listeners as well great great well it was good to have you on why don't you tell everyone where people can find you online your website social media anything else you'd like them to know yeah, um, so my website and blog is just theinvisiblehypothyroidism.com. Um, if you pop the invisible hypothyroidism into Google, all of my sites and various uh, bits of work that I've been involved in should pop up. Um, I'm particularly active on Facebook and Instagram. So again, if you just search for the invisible hypothyroidism on there, you'll find me. Um, I do also use Twitter, uh, Google Plus and Pinterest as well. Um, and I do have a, um, a support group for, for thyroid patients called the Thyroid Family. Um, in there you'll find you know advice support and and just some people if if you're having a bad day if you just want to vent about something we're all there um, as a safe environment and just to kind of talk things through and help each other through rough times but also celebrate the improvements and successes as well so if you're looking for um for for some support and some people to talk to you can check out the thyroid family on facebook as well excellent well i urge everyone to visit invisiblehypothyroidism.com and also follow Rachel on social media, Facebook. I really appreciate all of the information you're putting out there for everyone. So thanks again for coming on. No, thank you very much for having me. It's, um, I really enjoyed sort of talking through things and, um, yeah, I hope we've given some people some things to think about there. 
So go to drhedberg.com and I will be posting all of the show notes as well as a transcript of today's podcast in case you'd like to go in and read everything that we talked about as well as links to Rachel and any of the resources that we talked about today. All right. Well, take care, everyone. This is Dr. Hedberg, and I will see you at the next show. Take care. If you enjoy the Dr. Hedberg show, you can support it by sharing each episode on your social media channels like Facebook and by leaving a review on iTunes. Please visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com to access the show notes and resources for today's episode.